Welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. As always, we're brought to you by your support on patreon.com slash adherent apologetics. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Ortiz. He's the man behind Servant of Christ Ministries. In this interview, we're going to be talking about Jordan's journey um, to Black Hebrew Israelitism and from it. Uh, Jordan, welcome. How are you doing? I am doing pretty good. Very excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. I'm really pumped. I'm finally glad that we got this all figured out. Uh, so just to start off, like, for people who may not know who this Jordan Ortiz is, Jordan, just in case anyone <laughs> wants to know, because Nate is out there somewhere, hopefully very happy that I can say Jordan. Uh, for someone who doesn't know who Jordan Ortiz is, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, my name, of course, is Jordan Ortiz. I was born in Bronx, New York. I currently reside in Atlanta with my beautiful wife, Michelle. Uh, coming on the 29th, I would have been married for 16 years with my wife. So looking forward to celebrating our anniversary. Congrats. Thanks, man. Thanks. And so uh, I'm, a, I'm an occupational therapist by trade. I help individuals with physical and cognitive deficits. Uh, but I also started a ministry known as Servant of Christ Ministries, where my goal is to help people to know and understand the word of God. Um, it came from a passion of mine for helping individuals not be deceived by false doctrine, since I kind of have experience in that. Mm. But uh, that's pretty much me in a nutshell, man. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So what's kind of like uh, behind Servant of Christ Ministries? You talked a little bit about like the inspiration for it, but maybe you could go into that a little bit deeper. And if people would click that link and hop over, what would they see from like Servant of Christ Ministries? Okay, yeah, cool. So uh, right now I have a bunch of new things going on. I started a Monday night show called Real Reviews with SOC, where I kind of review films and movie and and, and uh, in light of Christianity and just looking for nuggets and different themes, teaching people how to kind of navigate film and use it as a, as a, as a tool uh, to minister the gospel. Also on every Saturday night live, I do have about an hour long hour to two hour long Bible study where I actually exegete the scripture from verse by verse. I uh, usually choose a chapter or a, a portion of scripture to navigate and just try to help people learn to read the word of God instead of just taking snippets um, or just little, uh, you know, things like that. People usually don't hear it that way. Uh, but there are also a lot of explainer videos uh, where I do an, a lot of breakdowns of certain questions or answering questions from the Christian perspective. Mm. And I, from what I understand, not only are you an occupational therapist and run the Servant of Christ Ministries, but you also have a book called uh, Judaizer, a comment, commentary on the book of Galatians. Like what's going on there? You're a pretty busy man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually wrote it a little uh, earlier this year, um, finished it, I believe it was August 5th. I, I don't know. I got to double check. <laughs> well, probably no. April 5th. I think it was April 5th. I released it. So, yes, I actually have it here in front of me. Um, it is a commentary in the book of Galatians right here. There we go. So it's called Judaizer. It's a commentary in the book of Galatians, and it's a verse by verse exposition of the entire book. Um, it was one of those books that inspired me and helped me through my difficulties as a Christian when I first became a Christian struggling with legalism. Um, and I got to about, uh, I want to say Galatians chapter four or so. And I ran into a portion of scripture that I really didn't understand. And so I prayed to the Lord. I asked him, please help me to understand it. And he did. And I was grateful and I didn't want to hold the wisdom to myself. So I decided to write a book on the entire book of Galatians in hopes that it would help not only uh, individuals who were lost in legalism, but definitely to establish maybe new new Christians in their faith to know that they are saved by grace and not by works and in Christ alone, uh, and you know, things like that. So that's what inspired the book. <laughs> yeah, well, good stuff, man. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your story in case mm -hmm. anyone, I guess if you're listening via podcast, you may see the thumb, the epic thumbnail that I made <laughs> where like, <laughs> black Hebrew is like speaks out. Uh, but right. we're, Jordan at one point was a black 
Hebrew Israelites, when we talked about kind of like that journey uh, to there and from there, and it's a Christian, he's a Christian now. So let's just talk about like, what's it look like, like growing up for you? Like, were you, did you grow up in like a black Hebrew Israelite household? I don't know if that's a thing. I, I you know, I know very little <laughs> about this group. So can you talk a little bit of just like, of like growing up, like kind of where you were at uh, with your religious beliefs? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, me and my family, uh, we were, I, I would say, culturally Catholic uh, mm. before I became a Christian. And basically what that was is, you know, just in the Hispanic community, you know, predominantly it is Catholic. Uh, but when I was younger, my mom, I was about maybe about 11 or 12 years old when my mom took me to a witch doctor, believe it or not. Mm. And yeah, it was crazy. And um, we, we got to the witch doctor and it's crazy because it was like an apartment in New York where this guy would see a bunch of people. Everybody oh. would set up an appointment. So it was kind of like this doctor's office vibe. <laughs> and so we're sitting there kind of waiting to uh, see this witch doctor. And so my mom took me in there. And of course, uh, when I say witch doctor, if, if you don't know, uh, Catholicism and witchcraft in the, in the Hispanic community is known as Santeria, which is an amalgamation of witchcraft and kind of uh, Catholicism. So anyway, we go in. It's finally our turn. We get to see this guy. And this guy's in a room. He's smoking a cigar. And it, the whole room is filled with smoke. And of course, I'm confused. I'm like, what is this? This is really weird. And so he rubs oil on my chest and arms. Um, he blows smoke over me. I think he says some chant or prayer. It was, you know, I don't remember it perfectly. I was really young. And so after that, you know, we just left and I went ahead and my mother started having these weird experiences, these, you know, these uh, physical symptoms after kind of taking me there. And my mom started losing her hair. She started losing her eyesight. So what she did was she called the witch doctor to our house to try to cure whatever was going on. Uh, of course, you can tell this is how it all started. Mm -hmm. um, so he comes, he, he helps her out a little bit. And as a result, my mother, I would say within a, about a week or so, was kind of sitting on the edge of the bed after this guy came. And so I just kind of noticed her sitting on the edge, looking down. And what ended up happening was I, I walked up to her. I said, mom, are you okay? And she stands up. She looks at me in the face. And she, she, I can tell there's something completely different about her. So she starts speaking in Spanish. I didn't, at the time, I didn't really know what she was saying. And she was demon possessed. I mean, mm. it, there was just something completely, it was definitely supernatural. I was young, never witnessed anything like this in my life. So I was freaking out. So the only thing I knew about God was what I saw on TV. Well, if you draw a cross everywhere, maybe the demon will go away. So um, I started drawing crosses like on the dusty television, uh, the window behind her. And she turned around and told me, she said, what do you think that's going to do? And then she just started laughing maniacally. So I was completely freaked out. And so was my mom, because after she kind of snapped out of it, then she said, God, please help me. Please help me. After some time passes, she meets my stepdad and my stepdad is part of the black Hebrew Israelite movement. Mm. And because we didn't have a foundation in God to begin with, we didn't really understand. Um, so everything he taught us, we kind of just accepted with open arms like, wow, this is this is wonderful. This is great. Now we know the quote unquote, the truth about the Bible, but we didn't have a foundation to begin with. So we wasn't really equipped to kind of gauge whether they were teaching us biblical doctrine. So we just kind of went along with it after. After that, uh, we moved to Atlanta, Georgia, where we actually officially uh, became part of a community, um, you know, just more, you know, became closer of a community with individuals who were over here in Atlanta. And then that's how I became part of the Hebrew Israelites. <laughs> so I think it might be helpful for someone if they're listening and have no idea who these black Hebrew Israelites are. Could you talk a little bit like what this movement is and like kind of like the basics of what their beliefs are? Sure, sure. Uh, well, the basics, uh, like if you're just 
I would say to summarize it, they are legalists. They believe that in order to be in, in right standing with God, you have to keep all of the laws of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the dietary laws, the Levitical laws, the high holy days, everything minus sacrifices, which is weird, right? Because if you're going to abide by all the law in the Old Testament, that's part of it. But um, so a black Hebrew Israelite believes that you need to keep all of the commandments and statutes and laws that were given in the Old Testament in order to be saved. And so that's hence the, the title Judaizer, because that's what Paul is preaching to individuals who are trying to subvert the Christian church and trying to tell them that they have to go back to the laws of Moses in order to be saved. So that's kind of them in a nutshell. Of course, they are very nationalistic in saying that the only people that can make it to heaven are black, Hispanic and Native American. Everybody else is a child of the devil and they're not going to make it into the kingdom. Uh, but that's not all groups. Some groups kind of divert from that a little bit. Some say, well, no, Gentiles who they call Gentiles can be saved, but they have to be saved through Israel. In other words, only we can teach. Only we are the true children of Israel. You guys have to go come through us. So basically, in a sense, it kind of makes they try to make themselves the mediator. And of course, it depends on who you're talking to and what group. Hmm. So what's the history of like the black Hebrew Israelites? Because I think for someone uh, who maybe not have has never even heard of this group before, they may mm-hmm. be like, where did this idea come from? I've never heard of this before. It's like, so what's like the origins of the black Hebrew Israelitism? Maybe the, I don't know if that's a word. Movement. Hebrew Israelism. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it started in one West. Uh, and, you know, somebody who really knows a lot about that history, even better than I do is vocab Malone. Uh, he knows the history really well. Uh, but if I was to give a generality just to make it easy, is this group of individuals that started in one West. Uh, they started and they believed that they were the true children of Israel. From then on, uh, they went ahead and started teaching the commandments of the Old Testament in order to be saved. And they kept on teaching that. And that's kind of the origin point. That's where they get the one West doctrine from then on is splintered into many different groups. Uh, you have GOCC, BOCC, ISUPK, you know, so forth. A bunch more uh, acronyms you can probably name. And so. From, that's where they kind of originated for this. So it started in New York and kind of splintered all over the place. So that's where they kind of had their origin point at. Mm. So you talked about uh, having a stepfather who w- was a black Hebrew Israelite and you, mm. you kind of adopted those beliefs. Was there a time when you were a black Hebrew Israelite, were you very devout in those beliefs or was it more of like a cultural thing? Like when you were a Catholic, like what did that look like for you week to week being a black Hebrew Israelite? It, well, uh, well, it's crazy because um, when I was a Catholic, I didn't read the Bible or anything like that. And of course that left me open for all kinds of deception. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then I became a black Hebrew Israelite and I started reading the Bible for the first time. I started studying. Mm-hmm. I started going into the doctrine. So it was more, it was less cultural than I was when I was Catholic. And it was more, okay, now I'm starting to practice. Uh, So the day-to-day life was just like any other day. I mean, it wasn't really too different other than I had to keep the laws. Uh, I had to make changes in my clothing. For example, I had to wear fringes on my shirts um, because, you know, of the old Testament uh, and so forth and so on. And so other than that, you know, it was pretty much the same. We didn't eat pork. We didn't eat any shellfish. We start, we tried to keep the Levitical laws in chapter 11, we celebrated only the high holy days in the Bible. We didn't celebrate Christmas, Easter, so forth and so on. Uh, all those other things we see, we saw as pagan, except for birthdays for some reason. We were okay uh, with birthdays. Um, but yeah, every day, it's just kind of like a day-to-day life, just like that, just kind of practicing that. Um, and that was pretty much it. Uh, and it wasn't until later on where I started seeing red flags, uh, mm-hmm. where there were, there were things that I saw that I didn't quite understand or didn't see, but that didn't come until much later. But I was, mm. I was devout. I wanted to be saved, and I really loved the Lord. But you know, that's how I felt like I was meeting God's standard by keeping all of the laws. 
Mm. We'll definitely get to those red flags um, in a moment here. Mm. I'm curious, one thing: what's like the Black Hebrew Israelite view on the old, uh, the, not the Old Testament, the New Testament? Like, what what do they believe um, regarding like Jesus and things like that? Uh, well, it depends. It depends on who you ask. Uh, for but when the the group I was a part of, we believed in the New Testament. We believed in the Old Testament. We believed in Jesus Christ. We didn't call him Jesus Christ. We at times we would call him Yahawashai, which was a broken, jacked up form of Hebrew. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, we believed in Jesus Christ. We believed in the New Testament. But every time you would read something like the main, some of the main difference differences are, you know, if you in the New Testament when you see, um, let's say Joseph and Mary. And, you know, they had Jesus. We taught that they actually had physical relations in order to have Jesus. It wasn't mm. a supernatural birth. So it was different things like that that would really mess up doctrine, <laughs> uh, you know, when misinterpreted. But yeah, so those are some of the things. So what I'm curious, like this idea of atonement, because obviously it seems like in the New Testament, obviously atonement is such a big idea. You were this book Galatians by, uh, by grace alone um, through mm -hmm. our faith. Like what's the view on like Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and how that like relates to like our sin. But then obviously you talked about like a heavy dependence on the Levitical laws. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to Jesus Christ for the black Hebrew Israelite, what it is, is he basically gave you another shot at keeping the laws. He, he kind of covered you so that way you can get back to keeping the law. So in other words, we as Christians, we believe that we're saved by grace and Christ alone, his completed work, and that's it, it's finished. Uh, but for the Hebrew Israelite, Jesus Christ came to just give you another chance and now you have to keep the laws. And if you don't keep the laws this time, then you're not saved. Mm -hmm. And they'll hide it over different language. And so, no, we believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. Yes, we believe we're saved by faith. But in practice, they don't believe that because you'll see that they're trying to actually earn salvation by keeping the Old Testament laws, which means they kind of negate the fact that Jesus Christ actually paid for their sins. They're still, mm. in a sense, trying to pay for their sins. Mm. So how long um, before these red flags came up in your journey uh, as a black Hebrew Israelite, like how long were you in this kind of religious belief? Uh, I was in it from the age of about. 15, 14 years, about 14, 15 years old. And I didn't leave until I was 22. So it was a big chunk of my life that I was a part of it before the red flags started showing up. And of course, other uh, things that happened in my life that caused me to leave. So how do you think, I think something so interesting to me is uh, from 14 to 22, obviously I'm living through that right now. That's a big, like important chunk of life. You go through yeah. high school, you figure out where you're going to go to college. Like how did this like belief impact like your, your lifestyle, like what you chose and chose not to do regarding like vocation or just day to day, like how big of a deal is this belief in like your choices? Well, I think one of the biggest change, the only, the biggest thing that you'll see a difference of is whether I keep the Sabbath or not. And so I, I tried to pick my job based on whether I was able to work, able uh, to say I didn't work on this. Like, for example, if I started working for a company, one of the first things I would write on my resume is I'm not available from Friday to, uh, to Saturday sundown. Um, and I would say things like that. So whether I was accepted or rejected based on that premise, I I'll never know, right? They'll never tell you, no, we've rejected you because of that. But those are some of the things that I would have to kind of look out for. Um, and other than that, nothing else changed. I was never kind of restricted from doing, going into a certain vocation or anything like that, other than, you know, we would have to try to keep the Sabbath day and try to find a job in which we didn't violate that. Mm. Okay. So let's talk about these red flags. I think this is something if you really important to talk about. It's kind of like the deconstruction mm -hmm. of these beliefs. Like what were these kind of like red flags that made you to like question your beliefs regarding black Hebrew Israelitism? 
there were there were a couple. So one of them was uh, like I talked about earlier, the the supernatural birth of Christ. Uh, I remember reading in scripture, and I remember reading Matthew, and I was like, well, this seems like a supernatural birth. You know, just mm -hmm. me just reading without anybody telling me what it means. Mm -hmm. And so, but I was so brainwashed in a sense that I didn't even trust my own judgment in understanding the scripture accurately. So what I did was I took that and I took it to the elders and I said, hey, listen, I'm reading this. It seems like a supernatural birth. I'm probably misunderstanding it. Can you show me and kind of explain to me how I can kind of, and quote unquote, explain away what my conscience was telling me? Mm. And they said, OK, yeah, we'll get into it. But we never got to it. We never got into why it was a, uh, why Jesus Christ was not supernaturally born and things like that. And uh, that was just one of the red flags. Uh, one of the other red flags is uh, I remember sitting in Bible class and I was reading, uh, you know, we would have our from Friday, Saturday, from Friday, sundown to Saturday, sundown, we usually have Bible study and for the whole day, pretty much. And I remember we were reading a certain passage. I can't remember the exact passage, but I know that we were reading about the Pharisees. And when I was reading it, I was convicted in my heart and I said, well, we act just like them. And I was kind of taken back because that's exactly how we behaved. And I remember, you know, after class was over, I went and I talked with my mom and I told her, hey, mom, you know, when we were reading this, she said, shut up, don't say anything. Mm. Because she said, I felt the exact same way, but we didn't want to say anything because we knew that we would be looked at as, you know, troublemakers or people who are, you know, whatever it is. And so those were like two of the red flags. There were others. Um, there were things that I didn't feel were consistent. Um, and there were things that came up. And what one thing that I noticed uh, looking back is that they were always kind of changing the doctrine. Uh, mm -hmm. they, for example, if something came out, uh, let's just say, for example, let's just say we interpreted one portion of scripture one way. And then months later, we say, oh, we were wrong about that. So now we have to change our whole way of thinking. So there was it was always that happening. Maybe one, every one or two years or so, there was a doctrinal change. And as a result, many of uh, the camps or what they would call the camps would split. You know, they would disagree. And then one group would go one way. The other, other one would go another way. But yeah, those were some of the red flags that I saw mm. I, amongst many, amongst many. Yeah, it sounds like a few. I think something, uh, let's just talk about your journey for a second. Let me just some okay. more specific questions. So you come, um, you have these red flags. What's the journey look like from there? Like your kind of deconstruction. And I saw a question in the live chat that kind of fits perfectly from the programmer in this. Like uh, you, de you, de you obviously deconstruct at some point. And like, what's the journey look like to Christianity from there? Okay, now that's that's a whole nother uh, story. But okay, <laughs> here we go. So. Uh, what basically happened was I started working for a popular retail company. Uh, I met a woman by the name of Michelle. That's my wife right now, but we were friends at the time and we had, you know, we found each other attractive and we wanted to talk to one another. So we started having breakfast at Chick-fil-A every morning before work. So we would talk and we would have conversations. And in my head, I was thinking to myself, well, she's nothing like the way they describe women in the world. Uh, because the way it was seen was in order to be married, you had to take have a woman come from outside, come in, learn first the doctrine, and then you could perhaps marry her. Uh, but when I was talking to my wife, uh, well, not my wife at the time, but when I was talking to Michelle, um, I thought to myself, I said, well, she's nothing like that. And we're just having casual conversations. Um, also, we were asking serious questions, you know, uh, before we even got serious dating. We we're like, well, what are you looking for in a spouse? What are you looking for? So it was th those kind of conversations. And that's where I kind of fell in love with her. And I said, well, she's nothing like what they taught me. So what ends up happening is we end up kissing and then I feel guilty and happy at the same time. Right? I'm happy that I kissed this woman that I loved. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid because I knew I was about to lose everything. 
what was Michelle's like religious beliefs um, at the time? Yeah, she she was Christian. Okay. Yeah, she was yeah she was definitely a Christian Just woman. Making sure. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so she was a Christian. Um, so you know, I come back home and I'm scared to death. I went upstairs. I didn't say anything to anybody for about an hour or so. Uh, but then I finally went downstairs, talked to my stepdad. I said, "Hey, dad, you know, I messed up. I, I kissed this woman, and I don't know what's going to happen." And he's and he put his head down. I remember he was kind of fixing a meal or something in the kitchen. He put his head down. And he said, we're going to have to talk to the elders about this. And I was deathly afraid because I'm like, oh, man, it's going to happen. I'm going to get thrown out. So we go and I speak with the elders and, you know, they called me everything but a son, child of God, mm -hmm. telling me that, you know, I was a whoremonger, so forth and so on. And I was so afraid and petrified that I just couldn't even say anything or respond. Uh, after that, they said, well, we're not going to kick you out yet. We're going to put you on a probationary period. Well, I was like, OK, well, at least I didn't lose my family. So I wrote a letter to Michelle, uh, according to the direction given by the elders. I wrote a letter to my wife and I said, I don't want to be with you. And she looked at it and she said, well, I don't accept this. <laughs> I'm like, what? And she said, I don't accept it because this is not how you really feel. And she was right. I didn't feel that way. But I was I was afraid to lose my whole family. Mm -hmm. I was afraid to lose God. This is the only relationship with God I've ever had was through the Black Hebrew Israelites. Mm -hmm. Well, Long story short, I didn't stop talking to Michelle. We kissed again and I decided, you know what? I'm going to be with Michelle for the rest of my life. I'm going to marry her. And so I decided to leave. After leaving, um, I got some of my things from the house. Um, my stepdad told me, I, I asked my stepdad for forgiveness. Um, he said, and I said, remember, David was forgiven by God for committing adultery. And I try to use that example as a way to show him, hey, you could have mercy on me. But he said uh, one thing that I'll never forget. And he says, but you're not David. And it crushed my entire world. Uh, so I left. I left my three sisters. Uh, one of them were in diapers. And then it was 15 years before I got to see my mother again face to face mm. and my sisters. So that whole time period I lost with my family. Mm. That's so hard. Like, uh, thank you for sharing your story. I, I can't yeah, imagine. No That's a very challenging things so like is this common in like black Hebrew guys like culture where, like if you leave you're kind of just like almost like shunned yeah um it, and not only with just black Hebrew Israelites but you see that in many cultures right you see mm -hmm. the Jehovah's Witnesses they'll cut people off and and um, Mormonism and things like that I know a couple of people who've been cut off but yeah this is a common thing uh with the Hebrew Israelites because what they're trying to do is get you to think that they have the truth and that's the only place you can attain it and if you leave them then in fact, in, in actuality, they try to convince you that you left God. Therefore, they're making themselves God and committing idolatry in the process because they're, they're saying that you can't have a relationship with God outside of our congregation. Now, you do have congregations that are probably not as strict, but I'm just telling you my experience from the part I was in. Um, so, yeah, they do shun you. You're no longer to have communication. So, yeah, for those 15 years, I didn't I didn't see my mother's face. I didn't hear her voice. I didn't see my sisters grow up. Uh, they basically shunned me and didn't want to have anything to do with me. That's hard. Um, so obviously you, you leave the beliefs. That's a very challenging thing. And a lot of people, when they leave their beliefs, especially since it's like a Mormon or JW, like oftentimes they just become atheists. Like mm -hmm. what's kind of like your beliefs look like after you like leave the faith? Like what's the storyline um, to where you're Jordan Ortiz, right? Servant of Christ, <laughs> a devout Christian, not adhering apologetics at um, October 15th, 2020. That's crazy. Think about it like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I never went down the path of atheism because I always believed in God uh, in mm -hmm. general. Um, what happened was after I left, I was afraid. I was petrified. I was pretty much waiting for God to kill me. 
And as crazy as that sounds, that's exactly what's kind of placed in your mind. If you leave this congregation, God no longer loves you and he's going to destroy you. Mm. So that's what I was kind of waiting for uh, throughout that period. Uh, but there were times where I just thought to myself, I said, Lord, you know, and I remember sitting down specifically um, on my couch in the living room, looking up to the ceiling, right? Or up to the heavens, however you want to see, say it. Uh, and I asked God, I said, Lord, please show me who you are according to your word. If what I used to believe is correct, just show me through your word without anybody telling me, just show me in scripture. But if what I used to, what, what if what I used to believe is wrong, please show me through your word so that way I can have a foundation in the word of God and not in what people are telling me. So as a result, I started studying scripture and I promise you the next day, as I was reading scripture, things started, I started unravel, well, the Lord started unraveling all of my old beliefs. And I started seeing things. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I didn't see this before. There was like a veil over my eyes. And so I just became excited and I started studying more. Now, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, I was, you know, 100% perfect in my doctrine. Uh, there were things I had to learn. Uh, one of the hardest things for me to overcome was keeping the Sabbath day. That was one of the hardest things. And so what I ended up doing was I remember I was uh, kind of cleaning the house. And I would listen to Bible studies on a consistent basis while I'm cleaning the house, uh, debates and things like that. And this video just popped up out of nowhere and just he was breaking down the Sabbath day. And I don't remember who it was, <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is that somebody took the time to put out information to try to help others. And so I listened to the video. I studied the scriptures and I was like, OK, I guess I'm no longer under this bondage of having to keep the Sabbath day in order to be saved. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was just one of the things. I mean, there was many others, but that was one of the biggest uh, things for me to overcome. And that's how it kind of happened from. And from then on, I decided, you know, I want to help people like this, too. And so I remember writing a letter to my friend who was going to the military and I decided I wanted to write him a letter so that he knew that the Lord was with him. So I wrote him a letter and I gave it to him. Um, and then what's interesting is that that became my first video for Servant of Christ Ministries. Mm. And if you go on my channel and you look at my first video I've ever posted, it's actually a love letter that I wrote to my friend um, to help him to keep the faith and stay strong in Christ. And from then on, and then it, it received, you know, at that time, you know, you get a thousand views. That was big time. So um, after that, uh, I started saying, you know what, this is something that I think I can, I can do to help people. And I had a passion for it because I didn't want other people to be deceived. And I didn't want them to go through what I went through. So I was like, well, maybe the same way that person put up a YouTube video for me, I can do that for everybody else and help them. And that's how Servants of Christ Ministries started. Mm, well, praise God for your, uh, your story. I'm curious now if we could transition a little bit and talk about mm -hmm. just like the Black Hebrew Israelite group as a whole and kind of like reaching them and things like that. Mm -hmm. And obviously, because you have some knowledge being... Um, part of the group why did someone in the first place like become a black hebrew israelite because like, i think for a lot of people could look on it from the outside and be like that's kind of absurd why would anyone believe that but i mean like obviously there's people made in the image of god who come to believe these things like what what do you think is the rationale behind these beliefs well there are a couple of things uh like i would say that it's trauma and ignorance those are the two things that kind of contribute to individuals becoming hebrew israelites and let me explain Trauma in the sense that let's just say an individual who's an African-American or Hispanic or Native American maybe went through difficulties in life concerning racism. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they had they they experienced some kind of abuse, maybe from a white person who, you know, mistreated them or 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 or, you know, just kind of show that whole stigma of racism toward them. And so, you know, whatever experience they had, 
they kind of translated and kind of held on to that. And then you have these groups saying, well, the reason you were treated like that is because white people and everybody else who are who is not part of who is who's not black, Hispanic and Native American, they're Esau or in a, in a sense, they are the devil and they don't care about you. And that's why you're being treated that way. So when you combine the trauma and the experiences of the African-American and the Hispanic community and Native American community suffering racism throughout America and throughout their times, now they have a weakness, they have a vulnerability. And it's not just racism, right? Like you could think about things like, for example, somebody who maybe was molested as a child, mm. somebody who was abused as a child, uh, somebody who had maybe lost their, their husband or lost their wife or lost family members. These in, now you're in a weakened state and you're vulnerable. So black Hebrew Israelites, just like every other cult, kind of jump on that and say, well, we have the solution to your problem. Mm. And this is why it's so important for Christians to give solutions to things like racism, to give solutions to things like what happened when somebody is abused. And basically, everybody's looking to be loved and valued by God. And as a result, you know, our job as Christians is to give them the answer through Christ. Mm. But if we don't do that, then the Hebrew Israelites step in. Mm. And then after that, after the uh, the trauma, then comes the ignorance. If you don't know scripture, if you haven't been reading your Bible, if you haven't been praying and spending time with the Lord, then you're going to you're susceptible to these attacks biblically because they sound like they know what they're talking about. They'll quote scripture faster than you can think of it. And now mm. you're saying, well, obviously they know what they're talking about. And because you have no background for it, foundation. Uh, this is how a person ends up becoming part of the black Hebrew Israelites. But this is not just black Hebrew Israelites. This is every other group as well who is a cult. And they do the same thing. They take advantage of your ignorance and your vulnerability. And that's how a person ends up becoming part of a cult. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, we're going to go through a few more questions here. And if you guys are listening mm -hmm. live and have questions, feel free to add them. Um, we'll be sure to answer some questions in Super Chat at the end. But you talked a lot about trauma. And I think, um, especially with racism, just thinking about what's going on in our country right now, mm -hmm. uh, we've seen these massive protests and very mixed reactions from Christians. Like you'll have some people like maybe a Dr. James White, who's very mm -hmm. different reaction than someone maybe a more liberal pastor, not necessarily even in a bad sense, but just like there's very different reactions. Like what do you think of like, what are black Hebrew Israelites seen in like Christians in this movement? Like, cause you talked about like trauma with racism and a lot of that's coming up right now. Like what do you think is going on and how is that you think, how, how can Christians be better um, as we go through this? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things I always say is you always have to start with the foundation of scripture and understanding that racism is a symptom and not the source. It exists. Individuals are mistreated. There is white supremacy. There is black supremacy. There is back and forth that, that people hate each other. Right. And it just ha so happens now that, of course, in America, it's predominantly the African-American community, the Hispanic communities as being treated with racism. So how do we kind of navigate that? And so one of the things I always say is it always starts with sin. Sin is the main issue. This is where it sprouts from. So of course, as Christians, our job is to definitely speak to the individuals who are hurt by this. Um, always speak to individuals and not try to cast a big blanket over it and say, mm -hmm. oh, well, you're part of the quote unquote woke community. Therefore, you're just angry. It's not that people are just angry. They have been mistreated. They have been misrepresented and they've been destroyed. But the thing is, you also have to bring it back to this is a symptom of sin. Mm -hmm. This is because of the fall and everything is going to start falling apart. So I think kind of going from that point, we have to actually speak to the community and not dismiss individuals because they say, oh, it, you know, there's racism in the world. Well, it does exist. 
right? We can't tell people that it doesn't exist. It exists. So we have to speak to that hurt. And we also have to help individuals see that that's not the end result. That's not the end game for them, that they are just as valuable in the eyes of God as somebody from Afghanistan, from mm. Europe, from France, from Spain, from Asia, whatever you, and every, the Lord loves each and every one of his children and kind of showing people that is going to really help them. But I think what happens is individuals have taken the liberty to be dismissive of people's feelings and emotions. You know what I mean? And, and, and it takes time to understand and to learn, especially if you don't come from the black or Hispanic community to really understand where it comes from. And I think it's important that we talk about that. But more than that, I'm not dismissing that, but more than that, we have to lead people to Christ through his word and mm -hmm. educate individuals on how God sees them so that they don't get their value from human beings, mm -hmm. but rather get their value from God. Once a person feels value from someone, it's kind of like, I feel value from my wife. Therefore, there's nothing another woman can offer me because I have everything I need in my wife as far as the physical and the, and, and the relationship wise. In the same way, and probably in a more magnified way, if somebody has a relationship with God and they know that they are valued by the creator of the universe, then their value isn't going to be placed in the hands of people. But I think it's also important to speak to the individuals who have been hurt by this and not to dismiss them. Mm, yeah, it's a really insightful answer. I, one thing I want to go into here in the last, uh, as we, we start to run down on time, I mean, we have a little bit, but uh, how can Christians reach Black Hebrew Israelites? Like, I think oftentimes we can see the YouTube videos and be like, is there any way that we can like talk to these people? Like, it seems like it's like this, this mountain to climb, but like, what's some like practical tips for someone who may be a coworker of a black Hebrew legislator or runs into someone in on the, so runs into someone on the street. Like, what can we do to be reaching these people with the powerful message of the gospel? Uh, one thing I would definitely say is to make sure that you have a strong foundation of, in what you believe first. So you have to be secure in your faith with Christ. Um, reason being is because you're going to get challenged with a whole bunch of verses and a whole bunch of passages. And if you're not familiar with it, then it can be scary. Um, but don't let it put that fear in you as well. What I'm saying is prepare, but don't prepare so much that you think you have to know everything in order to engage with these individuals. Uh, one thing I would say is try your best, unless you're seasoned, try your best not to engage them in a group because all it is is an echo chamber. They're gonna be rooting one another on, the pride is gonna be lifted and they're not gonna listen. Your best bet is to talk to them one-on-one -on -one because now they don't have these outside influences and you're just having a conversation with them. Another thing I would do is to understand the individual that you're speaking with. Everybody has become part of a cult or a religion or uh, the Hebrew Israelites as a result of something that happened in their life, so it's personal. Uh, mm -hmm. You have some individuals who are uh, not sincere and they know they're deceiving people. That's just with with anything. Uh, but there are individuals who truly believe that they're in the quote unquote the truth and they believe that they're doing the right thing. So you have to gauge your conversation and how you talk to each individual. But I would say, number one, try not to bring in so many outside sources. Try to deal strictly with the scripture because that's what you want tugging on their heartstrings when they leave the conversation with you. You want them to leave and say, you know, while they're reading the Bible one day and they're like, wait a minute, that's kind of sounds like what he said. And you want that seed to be planted and that Lord begins to water it. So again, use the word of God as the seed that you plant and then be sensitive to the reasons and the things that the reasons why they became Hebrew Israelites in the first place and let the Lord guide you. But I think one of the other top things I would say is pray. Uh, in, in the book of Luke, it says, don't prepare what you're going to say beforehand. I'm going to give you in your mouth what to say in that moment. And so 
we can get a little afraid and thinking that we don't know enough. And that's because we're relying on ourselves and our own intellectual ability to try to kind of win them over instead of relying on the Holy Spirit and God to guide you through the process and to tell you what to say in that moment. I've I've had experiences where I've prepared things and I ended up not talking about that at all. You know what I mean? And, you know, so don't put prepare in the sense that, you know, just be a prepared Christian in general, but always allow the Lord to kind of speak through you and not try to kind of win through intellectualism because it's not a battle of the wit. It's a spiritual battle. You're not fighting the person in front of you. You're fighting the, the spirit that's deceiving them or in them. So you have to fight with spiritual weapons and that is not your intellect, intellectual ability. It's the word of God. Mm. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, what do you think is the biggest obstacle uh, when engaging with Black Hebrew Israelites? You talked earlier about the two different things. You have the emotional um, and the other stuff. Oh, just totally blanked on the second thing. <laughs> it's okay. Dang it. Why did I do that? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know it. I just It's not coming off, off my head right now. Um, like, What do you think the biggest obstacle is to reaching a Black Hebrew Israelite with the gospel? Um, pride. I think is that's the biggest thing uh, is pride and the individuals are deceived, right? We, we don't think of, we sometimes look at deception as, oh, they just want to be that way. Oh, they just want to be outright and just kind of just curse people out and they want to mistreat people. That's not necessarily the case. Deception is when you believe that it's true mm. and it's not. You see what I'm saying? That's deception. And so that's one thing that's holding people back from kind of engaging. So number one, again, prayer, ask the Lord to guide you in your conversation. Another thing that's keeping uh, individuals in that is the fact that, again, they've suffered some kind of trauma in their life in the same way that I suffered a, a kind of trauma. And it was a process. It wasn't like one day I was like, OK, I'm wrong. That's never going to happen usually. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it does, it's, it's a miracle. It's a work of God. But in a sense, if an you have to think about the individual actually learning, right? It's a process. So for example, if, if I tell a person, well, they're in the wrong religion, what I'm telling them in reality is that everything that you believe to be true about God is a lie. And the community that you're a part of is lying to you. And you have to change everything about how you worship God. That's not an easy process. Yeah. You know, you're asking a lot from them. You're asking people to give up their families because of the gospel and they have to understand it. So that's what's keeping people in there is that they're part of this, this community that shows them love, care, depending on the group. Some people mistreat them, but they kind of translate it as love because they've been deceived. And so my thing is understand that there is trauma, there's a history, there are things that they've gone through and they have a sense of community and you're, you're trying to take that from them. That's how they're viewing it. You're in, in their eyes, you are the devil trying to take away God from them. Mm. So you have to think like, okay, I have to just use the word of God. I can't use other things because they're going to misinterpret it and take it as, oh, this is just deception and they'll dismiss you. So again, trauma, community, and, and ignorance are some of the things that hold people back uh, from leaving the Hebrew Israelite cult, but it is also that is also on the side of the Christian as well, because if we're ignorant of people's um, involvement, if we're ignorant of some of their beliefs, if we're ignorant of the trauma, then we can do probably just as much damage to them as we don't want to do, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So one last thing, we'll go to a little bit of Q and A. I have a few questions. If you get mm -hmm. questions, make sure to ask them. But what what should Christians not do? Because I think oftentimes we can like what Christians are good at. Everyone's good at making mistakes. We're human. But like if, if you're a Christian, like engaging with a black Hebrew, is like is there like a thing or two where it's like you should not do this? Don't bring this up or something along those lines. Um, 
That's an interesting question. Uh, one thing I would not do is get into a yelling match with them, right? Mm. Because you're not going to get anywhere. Just because you talk over somebody doesn't mean you're going to get anywhere. Um, and the thing is, you have to go into the mindset. Don't think that you're going to win them in that moment. Mm. When you're talking to them, I want you to picture yourself just planting seeds in their mind and then allowing the Lord to water it and make it mm. grow. Um, I think our pride gets in the way right? We, we as Christians, we want to save people. We want to help them. But sometimes it's to the detriment of them because we're just trying to win the argument. We're trying to be right. And we're, it's not about us being right. It's not about us. So those are some of the things that get in the way. Um, another thing that I would advise not to do is, again, try not to use a whole lot of outside resources because that's easily dismissed. Now, it can help at times depending on the situation. But in general, I wouldn't say, oh, well, have you read this book by this Greek scholar? And would you because that's not really going to compute with them. They're going to be like, you're trying to deceive me with an outside book. That's just that's how I saw it. You know, if somebody came to me with some outside knowledge, I wasn't going to listen. I needed the word of God. And so what I would do is try not to use outside sources too much unless this is somebody that you've been talking to for a long time. If you gain their trust and they start to believe you and things like that. But use the word of God primarily and become well versed in that because if we don't do that, they're going to dismiss you. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. Uh, we're going to get a little bit of Q and A now, guys. I saw a few questions, so we'll answer any questions, or um, and you can also send your questions via super chat if you want to support the show. Uh, but the first question here is from Planting as Bulldog, uh, Kyle Volmar. <laughs> he says, uh, "Do these people reject the Trinity? This seems to be like a hallmark of cult offshoots of Christianity." Um, I would say that some groups, not every group, um, some would accept the Trinity to some degree, but I think it's in how they explain it. Uh, like I was never taught that Jesus was God in the flesh when I was in the uh, the group. And sometimes some of the groups will teach that the Holy Spirit is nothing more than a force, kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses do, uh, and that the Holy Spirit is not a person. So you do have different groups like that, but not every group is like that. You, sound, you have some that do hold to the Trinity, but you have to get really deep and ask them, you know, what, who is Christ? Uh, because just like uh, speaking to any group, you can say, I believe in Jesus, and a Mormon will say, I believe in Jesus. But it doesn't mean they believe in the right Jesus. And so mm. in the same way, they could probably describe the Trinity in some abstract way. But the more you dig, the more you'll find that they really don't believe in the Trinity as well. So, some, yes, yeah, some of them do reject the Trinity. And it is one of the hallmarks of offshoot. You know, it's one of the telling factors that you can usually tell when an individual doesn't really believe in the true God of Scripture. Mm. Thank you. Uh, next question here is from the programmer. We hit on this a little bit, but I'm curious if you have any more thoughts. Um, after leaving the Hebrew Israelites, why did you choose Christianity and uh, Islam, Hinduism, etc.? You know, there's like 3,500 <laughs> 3, uh, gods, Jordan, and you're an atheist to all of them except for one. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. That's the explanation, right? <laughs> um, so the reason I did not choose Islam is, number one, I believed in the God of Scripture, right? I just had a misunderstanding of who he was. So I believe that the, the foundation and, and the source and where I was going to be able to find God was going to be in scripture. So I didn't even entertain Islam or Hinduism because I had never read those books as well. I never got into that belief system because I always believed in the Bible. But as I grew in my understanding of Christ, I would listen to uh, individuals who were uh, Islamic or, 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 you know, part of the Hinduism uh, faith. And I would see I was like, wait, that totally contradicts reality. So. Mm -hmm. The more founded I became in Christ, the more I was able to pick out some of the deceptions in the other religions. And this is why I say that it's important for Christians to become founded in the word of God, because if you're not, 
and you just go into these beliefs saying, hey, let's give it a shot to see if it's true, then what's going to happen is you're going to start being deceived. But, you know, a lot of a lot of debates, a lot of uh, discussions, a lot of YouTube videos. I, I That was part of my faith when I started coming into Christ was just examining and listening to conversations. And I became more and more uh, convinced that the God of Scripture is the one true God. Uh, so that's why I didn't be, become uh, Hinduist or, you know, Islamic in my faith at all. You know, I just believe the God of Scripture. Mm, awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, next question here is from Moshe MYYM. Uh, it says, a question for you, Jordan. It says, is the Messiah the standard for how we should live and what sins does the blood of the Messiah cover? Only the law he kept defines sin in righteousness. All right. So let me see. Let me see. Is the Messiah standard for how we should live? Yes, the Messiah is the standard by mm -hmm. how we're saved. We can't do what Christ did, right? If you start looking at Jesus and say, I could do everything he did, then that's a problem because he was sinless. And we know that we're not sinless. He walked on water. I fall in water. I'm not, you know what I mean? So my thing is when Jesus Christ died and he was crucified and he said, it is finished. What is important to understand is what is the it? And that's the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. And so that's how uh, we're saved. So he, 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 it covers all of our sins, past, present, and future, right? And then he says, uh, only the law he kept define sin and righteousness. I'm not even sure if I understand that last portion. Um, no, the, the, here's what the, the and I, I would like to explain the purpose of the law this way. The purpose of the law was not to make you righteous. It, that's just not its purpose. Its purpose is to show you how unrighteous you are, how much of, uh, in need of a savior you are. It was to kind of create a panic in your heart to say, every time I do this, I fail. As a matter of fact, the law in the Old Testament, when it came to the sacrifices, it was a built-in system that you would do this offering year by year by year. That means the law anticipated or God anticipated that you were going to sin no matter how many sacrifices you made. Mm -hmm. But what it was, it was a reminder of sins yearly and monthly and daily that you are in need of a savior and you cannot keep God's law. As a result, Jesus Christ comes. He keeps the law, fulfills the contract that was given to the children of Israel specifically. He fulfills that contract. And by his sacrifice, we're saved and made righteous if we put our faith in him. And that's how we're saved, not by uh, obeying the law. Mm. Uh, thank you here. And I believe this will be the last question we have uh, from the programmer, which says, uh, Black Hebrew Israelites normally cite the, cite the slavery text to make a case for their beliefs. How did you deal with this slavery passages when you came to believe in Christianity? Yeah, uh, it's actually more simple than you think. So what happens is a lot of the time, individuals come from a sense of, I'm going to quote this verse or passage out of context. I'm going to rip it from its context and I'm going to attach a presuppositional narrative to it. And so if they do it quick enough, you won't catch it. Right. If you don't have your foundation and you don't know the scripture. Right. Then you're going to go for it. So, for example, the slavery passage, usually Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 68, very popular passage. But in the passage, it says that no one is going to buy you. Mm. So if no one's going to buy you, then if we try to compare it to the slavery that happened over here in North America, there were a lot of slaves bought. Mm. So it's different. And then it says, I'm going to take you back to Egypt. And it, that's actual Egypt. And considering the context, it was to the children of Israel. And, you know, if you wanted to get really deep into it, there's a really cool uh, there's a cool apologist by the name of the BK apologist. Me, him and Colin actually did a very extensive study on Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 68 and all the chat and the verses. And we went into Joel and Amos and, and described how the laws were, how those curses were actually fulfilled 
in the time of the prophets. So we can't carry it over all the way till now. Mm. Uh, another question here from Moshe, just kind of clarifying. It says, First John 2, 1 through 2 says that we are to not, sin not. Should we take this serious? Thank you for your question, Moshe. Yeah, definitely. We we shouldn't sin, right? First John chapter 1, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Dear children, I say that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There's a contingency in the fact that when Christ died for us, he covered our sins. So yes, we should not go and live a life active in sin, but you're going to sin. Mm -hmm. See, that's the problem. You're still in the flesh. So the problem would be is if you say that we have to keep the law to be saved, that's a problem because now you actually, guess what? Have to keep all the laws, right? In James two, it says that if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all and we're all guilty. So no, we should not live at life active as sin. Even Paul says, God forbid, don't do it. But also take into consideration, you are going to fall. And what is what does it say in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2? It says that Jesus Christ is our advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we have our faith in Christ, and he is the one that saves us by his completed work. So yes, sin is serious, but we're not talking about all the laws of the Old Testament, because if you go by that, you have to also go with the sacrificial system, along with how to perform all the, the rituals on the holy days and things like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah, thank you for your answer. I think one thing that's helpful to kind of clarify with this question is you'll see in Paul's writings, and I think it's First Corinthians ten thirty one, where it says, "Imitate me, just as I imitate Christ." Like as a Christian, it's very clear that we are called to imitate Christ, to follow Him, to try to live as holy of a life as we can. But we also have that very clear idea that we are going to fall short every time we try. So just because we're going to fail doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Um, mm -hmm. But Jordan, thank you so much for your time. There's so much we covered here in those 50 minutes. And wait a second, we're not done yet because Nate okay. has a really serious question um, before we wrap things up. It says, oh what's it like being the Bible stud and will you sing us a song? I'm I'm not, kind of, I'd like to hear a song. No, don't. do. Please do not entertain Nate. This guy, he's been trying to get me to sing and he knows I can't sing. So I no, I'm not going to sing a song. And he calls me a Bible stud because I misspelled something in a chat room and I put Bible stud instead of study. And so now he calls me the Bible stud, this guy. <laughs> Nate. Why you got to troll my man, Jordan? What are you doing, dude? <laughs> That's his I'm job. Gonna, I'm going to have to demod you, Nate, for that. I'm just kidding. I can never <laughs> demod Nate. Nate's the man. Shout out to Nate. Uh, Jordan, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, Definitely. It was a what, pleasure. And there's another question from Mr. Phil Fox. So every time I try to wrap it up, something pops up. It says, oh when goodness. did SOC become the Bible stud? Another serious question. Uh, well, that was Nate. Nate deemed me. He knighted me the Bible stud. And so that's, I guess, how I became the Bible stud. It's not a name I gave myself. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to try to wrap it up again, but probably another question will pop up. No problem, man. <laughs> Jordan, thank you again so much for your time. And there is literally another question. I literally can't do this. Uh, <laughs> Roxby says, when are you going to interview Nate to Nate to? That'd be fun. Hopefully soon. It'd be a lot of fun. He's on, he's on my show on, on, on uh, Monday. He's with me um, on the real reviews. So you could see oh. him there if you guys want to see him. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to scout this Nate to D2 guy out. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll see if he's enough to make it on a smaller YouTube channel than yours. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Four times the charm. Jordan, thank you so much for your time, man. Um, no any problem. kind of like closing thoughts you want to give before we wrap things up here? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, if you guys enjoy Bible study, uh, please feel free to subscribe to Servant of Christ Ministries. Um, I, I, would, I welcome your questions. I try to explain Bible verses as simply as I can. Uh, so I, I truly appreciate everybody's time here. I appreciate you, Zach, for having me on the show. Um, and one thing I would say is make sure that you have a true, close relationship with mm -hmm. Christ for yourself. 
Uh, make sure that it is your faith and is yours alone with him. Uh, I want you to know that you're not saved by anything that you do. You are saved completely by what he has done. Amen. So place your faith in him and trust him when he says that he has completed the work and he has taken the burden off of you. Uh, so just place your faith in Christ. And that's what I would say to everyone. Just just mm -hmm. trust the Lord. <laughs> Amen. We do have one more question. Um, because I guess people like this Jordan Ortiz. Uh, see, Fredo, thank you so much for your super chat. I really appreciate uh, your support. It says, what should I say if a Hebrew Israelite claims it is a white religion? Um, I'm guessing he's referring to Christianity, such as an African priest who are Christian, even though it was before Christ. So does it apply? And finally, God is Brad Pitt's double. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what the last part is, but I think the first couple questions okay let's see let's see what should i say if a hebrew israelite claims it's a white religion i would take him back to the text it didn't start in europe it started in you know way before europe israel uh is a jewish faith that's where it begins uh we become christians because we become followers of christ um and you're gonna see that there are individuals in the past who had nothing like for example you have the ethiopian eunuch you have individuals in scripture you have uh abraham abraham wasn't a, a white european so it's not a white man's religion. Um, so, and then he says, such as using African priests who are Christian. Definitely, I would definitely use that, uh, even though it was before Christ. It's okay for it to be before Christ because everything in the Old Testament tells you about the Messiah. So everything is pointing to him anyway. So there's no disconnection. A lot of people try to make that disconnection, but it's not there. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Just the connection between the Old and New Testament. It's so amazing to see, uh, but six times the charm. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I'd encourage everyone, if you aren't subscribed to the Servant of Christ Ministries, I encourage you, there's a link down below along to a bunch of other links so that you can follow Jordan and all his stuff. And if you're new to here to Apologetics, I encourage you to subscribe. Uh, you can leave a like on your way out. Really appreciate it. Really Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Roxby, Michelle Turno, Moshe, uh, Cifredo, uh, everyone that tuned in. Big shout out, except to Nate. I don't want to give Nate a shout out. To nah, him. don't give him. He's, he's trolling Jordan. I can't do. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't let Nate troll my guest and say thank you. Um, but thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you to everyone who supports the show. Big shout out to Cifredo for your super chat. Really appreciate it. And everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you enjoy our show, you can support us on Patreon. We're about a little bit over 70% funded. So I really appreciate everyone's support. You can support patreon.com slash adhere and apologize for as little as a dollar a month. But Jordan, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate this conversation. You got it, buddy. All right. Have a good one, everyone. God bless.